You're not showing your screen. Try it. I'm just doing a test right now. Okay, testing. Oh. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Edwards from the Schuster Center, the Business School for Dentists. And today our topic is the five keys to success during COVID-19. And at the Schuster Center, we've got a program called Performance Coach. I'll be discussing it a little bit more in detail later in the program. But what we've noticed is that many of our doctors are having record summers post-COVID. So today I've distilled down the five keys they have in common that have led to these successes. I'll be spending some extra time on a few areas that I know many of you are struggling with. Traditional model of dental practice is one of high volume and small margins, and that can't work anymore, or you'll be the source of COVID spread, and you'll end up having all the dental offices shut down in your area. Nobody wants to be that person. We've got to limit the volume of people moving through our aerosolized, bacteria and virus-rich environments but we've known this for a long time. So why did we run a high volume, small margin practice? How did it get this way? Well, a lot of new dentists get out of school and they'll have a, anywhere from 300 to $500,000 in debt, which quickly turns into a million or more when a new practice is purchased, a new car, cause you deserve it, a house, a Sarek and a cone bean. Dental schools have invited dental insurance companies into form relationships with the student body. Insurance companies provide schools with large contributions for equipment, which form the basis very often of the relationship. You graduate feeling like you already owe them. And there's an expectation that you'll sign up for their plan. Everybody's doing it. Most practices take insurance and you'll instantly have patience for your new practice. In fact, if you read the magazines, the gurus and consultants all talk about an overhead that's in the 60s. That's average. This is even when you're working with insurance companies. Is it any wonder why so many go to school for one reason, to be a doctor and step out of school into a rushing river of production that is flowing in the opposite direction of what you want? When you sign up for these insurance programs, they have rules and regulations which result in many smaller appointments to be able to use the benefits. The treatment plans are based on yearly maximums. So very often, if there's a lot of work to do, you can't get it all done in a year. But we bend over backwards trying to use the $1,500 of benefits that has been the same since the 1970s. Treatment acceptance very often is based on predeterminations or allowed procedures. So we don't even recommend everything that's possible. And then write-offs. Who knew about write-offs? If you don't know how much you're writing off, sit with your front office for an afternoon when the checks come in and watch how it works. I just talked to a dentist doing a three unit bridge that was writing off $1,100. You also need to see multiple people per hour to make it work. Because the first person, if you're writing 50% off, it doesn't even cover your overhead. So it takes two people at a minimum just for you to break even or turn a small profit and then takes three per hour for you to really realize a profit by owning your own practice. Now, COVID's done something wonderful for men. I notice all the guys in the bathroom washing their hands, finally. Now, people who don't social distance in public, 
even to pass behind someone back to back just to slide by, maybe to look at a depth finder at the Bass Pro Shop counter, they may find themselves chided by another customer. Ask me how I know. Masks in public, we're all in this together. This means you. So expectations in the dental office are very high. By now, if you followed guidance in our earlier webinars or in the book, Are You Essential? You've got gowns, you've got UV lights in the rooms, you've got UV lights in the HVAC system, you've got air cleaners, you've got dental aerosol vacuums in the room. You have written protocols for donning and doffing as well as protocols for patient care, ensuring that you're not seeing anyone that's symptomatic. All these CDC guidelines were so stringently adhered to in the beginning and publicized in the media, focusing on dental practices so often. But as they've been relaxed, suddenly we're not supposed to listen to the CDC. Their guidance isn't to be followed because tensions are easing about COVID because we want to get into school. We want to vote. We have an upcoming election. So everything has been politicized. What do we believe? The answer is we have to do whatever is possible so that we can say without a doubt, if you get COVID, you didn't get it at my place. They found out a lot more about COVID since the beginning, and we understand the precautions that were taken, but we found out that it's really not as deadly as they thought. Is it contagious? Absolutely. But so was H1N1, and we did nothing like we're doing today. But is it any wonder, over 40 years, the th same things come up? Is it any wonder that doctors think, if I produce enough, all my problems will go away? And it's interesting, I remember when I first got out of school, they talked to me about production. Well, my background was in the steel industry. I worked in the Coke ovens of a steel mill. So production was how much Coke we were gonna produce that day. I never thought about production in a medical environment. But you see, when insurance came about, was very well into the industrial age of the country and production was an industrial term, like steel mill production. So production is very much in the lexicon of dental practices and it's not going anywhere. How about this? That the profit and loss reports show I made money, but where is it? Is it any wonder? because we were never taught how to run a business. We were taught how to be doctors. If we really wanna know where the money went, we have to run a profit and loss report, a balance sheet and a cash flow analysis, put them on a large spreadsheet, and then figure out where the money is. Very difficult. How about this? If I, if I start submitting to medical insurance, my case acceptance will increase. Likely not. A lot of times medical insurance won't pay your full fee either. So they'll offer you a compromise and if you don't take it, they'll deny it. If I buy more technology, I'll increase my net profit. This is a very common one. It's promoted by manufacturers and supply companies. Why do you think they perpetuate this myth? You increase your overhead with a loan for the equipment. It requires a service plan. It's obsolete by the time you pay it off or they'll no longer support it, giving you some kind of a trade-in allowance when you sign up all over again for the next newest generation of equipment. If you don't have money under control, don't add expenses. Take the reins, and today I'm gonna to introduce you to some concepts to show you how to do it. Very common one. I'll let my practice grow organically and change things as I go. I'll learn on the job. 
I don't need business training. Well, the fact is there's a lot of practices like that that continue to have the same problems. They always seem like they're putting out fires. It's more of a chaotic environment. The dentists are highly stressed. Is it any wonder that running a profitable, profitable practice or becoming wealthy is such a crapshoot in dentistry? So at the end of today's webinar, I'm gonna give you a way to have a strategy session with me or one of our analysts. And these calls have the potential to give you immediate results. They'll also give you some insight into our school and the curriculum that we teach. Recently, um, there was a doctor who set up a few of these strategy calls and their practice revenue has doubled for the last two months. I have another office that immediately after one of our on-site visits prior to enrolling into the school, began to reach their goals in two weeks and began taking the fourth week completely off of each month from then forward. So these calls can be very powerful. A lot of times what we're doing is trying to learn more about your practice, more about what you want, what you're trying to get. And uh, I make sure that each call, there is some value for you as well as us uncovering the reality of what's going on in the practice. And it's important for me to know that for what type of practice you have, because it is one of the common keys, one of the common success factors in the doctors who are having record summers. And it's the model of practice that delivers a one-to-one -one style. This means that you really become an expert in the person who is sitting across from you. You really get to know people, what their motivations are, what's important to them. Then you get to know from a medical perspective, how do genetics play into it? What about their lifestyle? How about money? How, how, how are they, what treatment is, uh, or not only what treatment, but what, what preventive measures will they be interested in? How does money play a role in that? All these practices have a collaborative or relationship-driven practice. This can be the outcome of practicing a model of care, like the Schuster model, that is based on humanism, or treating each person like the individual that they are. The Schuster model is based on decades of research in human and organizational development, and it's in part based on research done by Abraham Maslow into healthy and successful individuals. This research became the foundation for his human motivational model. The model shows that levels of existence need to be satisfied before one can sex successfully move to higher and higher levels of being. For instance, when applied to a dental practice, if the practice doesn't have money for finances under control, it's difficult to truly focus on the needs of the patient or be able to even slow down enough to spend time really getting to know someone. So you can not only help them discover their level of health, but what the way forward is. Our curriculum uses time-tested principles of business and has rescued practices or provided a platform for doctors to regain control of their practice and create the life and practice they've always wanted, no matter what type of practice. And we've got over 40 years of results to back it up. Now, the predominant style of practice in dentistry today is the level two or problem-focused practice. So hygiene exams, if, you were, if we were to read the charts, they'll only note the problem areas or what's wrong. The doctor notes are usually a laundry list of what's wrong. The patients lay there listening to this conversation at the hygiene exam, adding up the issues, add in the mystery of dentistry language that we use, the code language, and it further separates the patient from the reality of their health. 
Problem-focused practices don't stop with just the patient visit. Staff meetings are all about what's not working, what's wrong. This is problem-focused or a problem-solving state of being. A level two or problem-focused practice is, all, is almost always moderate to high volume. Uh, hygiene is insurance-based. So even if someone needs a treatment, if insurance doesn't cover it, probably not going to be recommended or uh, even discussed. It's a very uh, high production model. People want little to no out-of-pocket expenses. They want to stay in network. There's a very high overhead of 60, 70, or even 80 or more percent. And it's often hygiene-driven. And that just means that you have two or three or four hygienist-seeing patients. And statistically, you are going to have a lot of problems to fix when you have a lot of people in your practice. You'll have broken teeth, abscesses, decay, et cetera. And it's easy to have this kind of practice and do a lot of work. The hard part is managing the business side and knowing that you're simply patching people up as they break down over their lifetime. This level two type offering is 95% of the 200,000 dentists currently practicing in America. I recently spoke with a dentist from South Carolina that has an advanced training but isn't really using it, has three hygienists, and is upset because things blow up in one of his hygienists' room from time to time. Now, what does that mean, blow up, I wondered. He said, large decay pops up, resulting in the need to do root canals or crowns, and patients get upset. This is common in a level two hygiene-driven practice. The doctors are relying on the hygienist to do the diagnosing. The doctors are relying on the hygienist to present the treatment. The doctor comes in for less than two minutes, blesses the plan, and moves on. You see, when you're on Highway 95, you're relying on your team to find problems for you to fix. You're not embodying the role of the doctor, but what most describe as themselves becoming a mechanic, just fixing problems on a treadmill. We can't let those that, that work for us dictate the level of care we provide. And we have to set that level as the doctor. We set the level of excellence, the patient experience. We set the level for the model of care. It starts with how patients are greeted. It starts with not accepting cone cuts and poor exposed radiograph. It starts with not accepting allogenates with thin areas or tears. You get what you expect. And it begins with you as the doctor putting your philosophy of care down on paper and letting your team know what you believe and then giving them a chance to believe in it with you. And that, when that happens, we can move into a full level three style of practice. And a level three style of practice is a slower paced practice that works collaboratively, collaboratively with patients and in a creative orientation rather than a problem solving or fix it orientation. We ask questions. How did this happen? What do you want in the future? What is the outcome of our relationship? These practices are a lower volume or a one-to-one -one style of practice. Hygiene is individualized. So every patient has their own roadmap in hygiene or their own master plan of what their care looks like in the future. People are willing to pay a fair fee and do not expect insurance to cover everything. They make decisions based on their values and the desired outcome rather than their dental benefits. These offices tend to have smaller teams and smaller overheads. The last uh, practice type that we see that becomes very successful uh, post-COVID is the level four practice. I call it the journey uh, back to health. 
but this is where the doctor really becomes a brain surgeon and they're doing uh, more complex care or highly specialized care. In a practice like this, it is very one-to-one. -one. The doctor might even spend quite a bit of time with the patient before they even examine them, ensuring that they are the right fit. Hygiene is very individualized and takes into account systemic health. People are willing to pay whatever is necessary to get back home and don't count on insurance for anything. They make decisions based on their belief in your abilities. They, you have a dedicated small team and the performance coach doctors that we have seen that have the most success this summer are full level three and four type practices. Now, I go into a lot more detail about these practice types in our most recent book, Are You Essential? Uh, the inspiration for Are You Essential came during the first weekend of, quote, shutdown when COVID hit in March. And I was at a, uh, a liquor store in town, and I heard the ladies behind the counter ask, uh, should I come in Monday? It says all businesses are closed. And the woman said, oh, no, we're essential. And I looked around, and I saw glass bongs, a rows of liquor, refrigerated liquor, and the two of them are standing in front of a mural of cigarettes. But that's essential, but dental practices were closing. So, so over the last months, uh, I've done many webinars on navigating the gap between being closed and reopening, proper PPE considerations, teleconsults. Um, this book was a lot of fun to write because it just took all those webinars and distilled it into one place. But these are available on the Schuster Center online learning website, which I'll share with you shortly. Uh, because I personally did and I'm still doing all the things that you read in this book in my own practice, um, you know, we can discuss any of these things in a strategy uh, session as well. One of the other great things about this book is there's also many other voices from some of my mentors, such as Jan Janke, who is a joy coach, Mark Powers from Five Star Live, Dr. John Heron, who's one of the mentors at the center, Dr. James Burchett, who uh, I've been uh, very blessed to work with for about 12 or 13 years, and uh, the ultimate mentor, Dr. Mike Schuster, who has his final chapter in the book on renewal. So it's a great book. I hope you check that out. Now, each of these practices have a different, every practice style has a different model for spending, just like they have different systems. You know, it doesn't take that many systems to care for one person at a time, but you need a lot of systems and policies to take care of three or four people per hour. So spending goes along with the different practice styles. Um, now, level, as you develop partnerships with patients and see fewer and fewer people, level three and four practices have smaller teams and the practice is doing more work on fewer, fewer people, which shows a, a larger net profit than a practice that needs a lot of people and has a high volume of insurance-based care. The, the cost model for the Schuster Center that we teach is a 52% overhead, and it is still very achievable today. 24% is allowed for the doctor's salary. 10% is a savings account for the practice. Most of our doctors that had been involved in performance coach had a comfortable solvency. So when COVID hit, they either went to the second home or sat home and relaxed about uh, and planned 
on how to reopen, and it wasn't such a stressful time. Return on investment is 10% of the revenue that's put into either the doctor's continuing education or retirement fund. And when all the buckets of the overhead are filled, 4% can spill over into a shared profit for the team. So when we look at a level two problem-focused office, what we see is that the overhead of fixed expenses, the total fixed cost of just three areas is already over our overhead model of 52%. When you add in laboratory supplies, admin, and marketing, you'll see that this overhead is almost 80%. That means the doctor's losing $230,000 a year just because of overhead. So for some people, owning a practice is just a kind of a way to have a job that you're in charge of. When COVID hit, you may not have been that upset. You got a month off, who cares? For some people, having a practice is a career. You may have felt a setback from achieving your goals or your timeline. The question is, now that you're working again, do you want to go back to what you had before? Do you like the lower volume pace if you could maintain that and grow your income? Because I'm going to tell you that's what we teach. For some doctors, dentistry is a calling. And no matter what, you're going to find a way to persevere and come out stronger. When it's a calling, obstacles melt away no matter how big, and you will find a path to victory. This is what we're seeing in doctors who are having a wonderful success this summer. They have an aspect of care that they're passionate about. Even if it's just reopening with safety precautions in place for the team and patients, that's what some doctors became passionate about, is ensuring that they could say without a doubt, if you get COVID, you're not getting it at this office. Level three partnership practices with respect to overhead, you will see an overhead of, total overhead here in this practice, is under 50%. Fixed expenses, such as staff compensation, occupancy, and then equipment is under 30%. And then supplies, lab, marketing, and administrative expenses are under 20%. So the doctor gets to take home that difference. A practice, even if they don't even change the model of care, just by managing the money, managing the practice like a true business, can yield incredible changes and shifts in net profit. High volume, high overhead practices struggle during COVID because you can't see three or four people an hour safely. When your overhead is 10% over the 50% mark, you gotta do $25,000 more a month just to make the same money. When we get all the way up to 75%, you have to do double what a 50% overhead practice has to do. So a level two practice has to do double what a typical level three or four practice has to do to make the same money. So which system has the greatest leverage? A level three doctor is producing 640% more on 36% fewer patients than a level one style dentist. A level four doctor is producing 1200% more. When you get control over money, it has a massive effect on your mental energy and your ability 
to keep making changes in the practice towards higher net profit and higher quality of patient care. When you're in a state of fear, it changes the energy and it's felt by everybody around you. Have you ever been around somebody that makes you uneasy or walks into a room and just sucks the energy out? When you are trying to present treatment and money is out of control in your practice, patients can sense this. You see the energy maps in the lower right of the screen. People who are in depression, contempt, shame, have a completely different energy than those that take pride in their work or love what they're doing. So shame and depression can be felt around you by people, but the good news is so can passion and joy. So having the right fee structure, so you're getting paid adequately for what you're doing. Building a solvency account for the practice so you have confidence and ensuring that you are have a, an overhead, if you can match the Schuster overhead, you're living on this percentage-based budgeting that gives you profit at various revenue levels. If you wanna know more about this, we have online courses that cover the profitability uh, management course, which talks about the overhead and the different styles of practice. We have one on relaunching the practice, which walks you through several steps that, uh, that I've talked about so far on the webinar. And we also have some on transitioning your practice uh, to one of fee-for-service. Now, the next key to successful practices uh, this summer has been high-performing teams. Now, I know a lot of people out there have lost team members, so we're going to spend a little bit of extra time here today on talking about how to attract the right people. I've been in a lot of dental offices, and I've talked to a lot of team members, and there's usually at least one that believes in the doctor's philosophy or their level of care. Not that I haven't been in a practice where no one believes in the doctor at all because I have, and it's sad. But we have to have people believe in what we're doing. As the doctor and leader of the practice, you may look at dentistry, as I said, as a job, a career, or calling, but guess what? You are gonna have people that work for you that reflect those same orientations. So the first thing is a philosophy of care and write it down and share it with your team. I have also walked teams through an envisioning process where you have them articulated right out. Why do they get into dentistry? Why do they enjoy working in your practice? Have them write down and articulate what their dream or ideal practice would look like and see if you all are in the same ballpark. You might not even be in the same sport. But if you are, you've got something to work with. Have them help you identify what stands in the way of reaching your full potential as a practice. Having them go through this exercise of what are the steps we need to do to bring this into reality can really open the conversation up to insurance discussion if you want to, or what other obstacles they see. You may find that you have a willing partner in enacting that transition. If they're against you, then they're not the right team member to have on board for what you want to do. The more you focus on the vision of the future and living out your philosophy and the benefits for the team and the patients, it allows you to make a declaration. When you make a declaration, now you're standing for something. And if you, if you find something to stand for, you won't just fall for anything, whatever the new fad or equipment uh, sale that's going on at your supply company. Your declaration becomes a filter that you view every decision forward through to get you further and further towards your ideal practice. The last thing with team is training. 
at least four hours a month of training. And hourly, you know, I recommended that you do an hour uh, weekly team meeting that we called Launch and Learn, where everyone has a voice in developing the practice uh, COVID response, uh, to give feedback on how things are going and helping the practice reach its full potential. I kept those going into the fall hour weekly, plus we still do uh, at a minimum of four hours of training a month. You don't wanna ever let your front office hold you hostage. You don't wanna let your hygienist hold you hostage. You need to have people cross-trained. And to do that, you've gotta schedule time to do it. Now, many practices have lost people. You've lost your hygienist, maybe an assistant or a front office. Now, over the years, we've I've had people tell me uh, they've used headhunters, Craigslist, newspaper ads. Uh, what seems to be working the best right now is Facebook and Instagram advertisements. An announcement that's shared on Instagram or Facebook can be shared many times over by your friend groups. And these ads shouldn't just be an announcement like, hey, I'm looking, you know, I need a full-time front office person. Here's your salary range. Here's the benefits. No, this needs to be a description about your office and what your philosophy is and what you're all about. I've helped a lot of dentists write these ads looking for new hires. And almost every dentist has told me it's been shared to where it's hit 10,000, over 10,000 people have seen the ad. I'm, I've got a doctor that told me that his recent Facebook ad generated over 70 applicants. So activate your patient base. After all, the people you hire will be the ones caring for them. So let them have a say in, who, in spreading the word. Let them help you find somebody while also attracting other people to your practice. Create a process of hiring and a process for orientation. Design a system and let that you uh, that involves your team and that you follow every time. Maybe it's a Zoom interview first or a screening by your front office, followed by an in-person or a working interview. Then maybe a lunch with the team so they could view the, the prospect in a different environment. What's the role or personality type for that role that you're looking for? We're gonna talk a little bit more about that shortly. What personality type would be right in your mix of who you currently have on your team? So look at the different personalities, taking past experiences into account. What'll be the greatest addition for your group and what skills do they need or what can you help them learn? Sometimes you just need a person with the right personality. Understand what determines success for each person, how each person feels valued, how each person responds to motivation and inspiration. I was recently at an office where I began to talk about elements of the job. So what are the elements of a job in a dental practice? Well, you've got money, of course, so what you get paid, you have benefits, you have hours of operation, then you have any kind of ability to have job growth, You've got relationships with the team and with the doctor. And as you start to look at those, you can figure out what is the hierarchy of importance for this, for your employees that you have and for the prospects. Some, some uh, for instance, a dental assistant I interviewed, her most important thing was a relationship with the doctor. If she had a relationship with the team, good money, good hours, but didn't really have a relationship with the doctor, she couldn't work there. 
And I have another person that I interviewed who said relationship with the team was the most important and money was like third or fourth on the list. So knowing how each person feels valued and, and determines what success is, is extremely important. One of the things you can do is use a Myers-Briggs test to help you figure that out. Now, until you get good at it, you know, you, you can't just observe a person and understand, are they an extrovert or an introvert? Are they, are they outgoing or they're more to themselves? Um, are they thinkers or feelers? Often you can hear people say, I feel this, I feel that. That's a feeling type. People who tend to respond, well, well, I think this or I think that. That's a thinker. But you can have people take these tests. And Myers-Briggs will tell you not only how people behave in a healthy environment, but how they behave under stress. Additionally, each of these types need to be communicated with differently which is really important for each person on your team to understand. It's not that anybody's bad or disrespectful or not listening, which you know they can sometimes, but that's more often, it's about their typology. They don't really hear you or respond in the ways that you want them to because they just don't communicate, communicate that way. So it's important not only for you to be a master communicator with your patient, but also for each individual member of your team. One of the things I like to use is a Colby, a Colby A, which tells me do people, and you'll see on the right is a sample test, but it tells me if a person needs a lot of information or a little information to make a decision. So a lot of times, um, let's say a hygienist, you may recommend something, but they'll wanna research it on their own before they actually enact it. That would be a higher fact finder. Uh, maybe you have an assistant that you'll tell them what to do. They won't get the instructions out. They'll just do whatever you said to do. That'd be a low fact finder. Follow through is um, how they organize their way of doing things. Quick start, um, how they deal with risk and uncertainty. And finally, implementer is how they um, handle space and tangibles. Do they need to build things to understand it? Do they need to watch a video or can they conceptualize it first and understand what the outcome would be? So my being knowing these things, it helps me decide how to distribute roles within the practice. Uh, another easier way of doing this, and you know, this all goes with how you listening to this today. This goes with how you handle information. So I've given you several different ways. I'm gonna give you one more when we're finished, but are up next, but it's different ways for you to be able to evaluate people. So here's one that I made up that people are either extrovert, introvert, so outgoing or more introspective and, and quiet. And then you have amiable or driver. Amiable kind of will go along with the flow or what, what other people want. A driver needs to lead, needs to, either be in charge or have a say. And then once I figure those out, then we have the list of the side, which are uh, add-ons, such are qualifiers, such as are they a self-starter, are they a self-motivator? Are they thinking or feeling type? Are they highly structured or spontaneous? Do they focus on steps or do they need, need to know the big picture or the why? So this might be an easy way for you to do it without having anybody take a test. What I find is, that there's a few different types of people that work in dental practices. And one I call bird of prey. Birds of prey sit up high 
up on their roost, watching everything go around, and they just wait for you to mess up. And then as soon as you do, they'll be all over you, and they'll get the rest of the team to be all over you, and it gets harder and harder to enact change. Then we have sheep. Sheep kind of don't like any of your ideas or any of your changes you want to make. They say bear and there, and they just graze off the practice but don't really pitch in. The problem with sheep, they tend to multiply. And more and more of the people on the team watch the sheep, and they become sheep. And pretty soon, it's your biggest obstacle into doing anything. I know a doctor who wanted to make some changes, and finally, you know, the, the sheep said, any changes, we're all out of here. You can't have sheep on your team. Pretty soon, the entire group will be sheep. We also have moles. Moles work underground. You don't even know what's happening, and all of a sudden, you've got two or three people that leave at the same time or come in together and want to negotiate salaries or time off or benefit packages. The other type of employee that you may have are ducklings. They do whatever you say. They don't care why, but they're not really 100% behind the purpose and philosophy of the office. They're just... They're not not doing their jobs, but they're doing the, the minimum amount and doing exactly what you say. Now, high-performing teams have several common characteristics, and one of them is a culture of accountability within the team. They care about each other, and they want to make sure that they are being good stewards for the rest of the team. <clears throat> Analytics. We can measure the effectiveness of different roles on the team and measure how the practice is performing and everyone understands those analytics and has an ownership mentality so they want to know what's going right and how do we strengthen it what's going in the wrong direction and how do we turn that around having the right people in the right roles the the owner and the team understand their differences and who who has strengths and areas that need improvement and how to distribute different activities in the office and finally training and cross training and more training you've heard that from me several times today and also in the past on webinars we have to spend a lot of time on training and that can come in the form of team meetings or it can come in the form of shutting the office down and spending time on cross training and finally having the right mix of people that respect communication differences so DISC is another, is another form of personality testing that's very good for that. You know, the goal is to establish a culture of excellence with standards and measurable performance in all areas and a group of positive people with the right mix of skills that create an environment that everyone is excited to come and work in. They take pride in their work. So what I want is in a bird or a duck or a sheep or a mole, I want a pride alliance on my team. I want people that work together well and we share the fruits of our labor. But this does not happen naturally. Think about it. The typical process of training for a new employee is we put the assistant on the other side of the chair and we make a guess what we like. We just work and we see, do they start adapting to my style? Do they start doing the things I want them to do? And if not, we don't like to work with them. They don't last. So we just have them jump in and start working. Or let's throw them in with the pack and see how the others take two of them. 
But when you design a training process with your experienced team members, you have an observation period that the new employee can follow the senior around. If you don't have, if you're completely doing a new position and there is no one to train them, have written policies or systems on how things, things work. Share the mission, vision, and values of the practice and have team events so everybody can get to know each other outside of the office. Most important in that type of role is time with the owner to understand the philosophy. You can even write a description of how to handle me or how to work with me, things I like. Don't make them guess. And of course, meetings, 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 training, training, training. Now, people don't want just a great place to work. Everybody wants something different. It's important to know what each person considers success and what do they want from their job. I told you for some it's money, for some it's benefits, some want relationships with team doctor. Others, it may be the lifestyle, the four-day work week, or the, or the hours worked, or maybe some travel. But you spend time observing people and how they respond in different situations. Observe the words they use, how they interact with others, and when they seem joyful. People don't want to just work, though. They want some path of development. And in a small practice, small dental practice, there's nowhere to go. It's not like you're going to be the vice president of anything after you've been there 20 years. So have workshops that people can go to. Do team building events. Uh, support personal success or personal projects. Assist each person in that development. Find out what are the things they want to do on the outside and support that. And one of the things we do that everybody can get behind is giving back to the community as a team. Right now, it's veterans issues, and it has been for the last few years. We've done, uh, for a while before that, it was uh, working with underprivileged in our area, which ended up expanding into several states and got to be a huge project for us. Having the right team is one of the five keys that teams have utilized to have an amazing success during COVID. Now, the president, as did his treasury secretary and the secretary of the economy, Larry Kudlow, all predicted a V-shaped recovery. The PPP, the EIDL loans, and the current HHS CARES grant, which expires on September 13th. So, you know, get on that if you haven't done it yet. And it takes a while. But they all predicted a V-shaped recovery. I did not. I predicted a W-shaped recovery. Or a V with a muted upward V. The economy has recovered when you look at the stock market. But supply chains are, there are shortages in supply chains all over the place, especially in building and raw materials. Uh, some of those supplies are skyrocketed in cost because they are in short supply. Unemployment is still very high and will continue to be high until the end of the year at least. The average recovery, as you see here, for every recession, which, you know, if you think about it, like the seasons of the year, we have a recession where the economy shrinks, jobs are lost, stocks fall, interest rates fall. We are in a period of early recovery or late recession. In early recovery, we see the economic output recover, lost jobs recouped, markets rebound. The Fed does some kind of stimulus, which they've been doing the whole time to keep this economy afloat. And finally, credit expands. So we're kind of at this low point 
are on the upswing, <clears throat> but not in every sector. But in every winter, what we're doing is getting ready for spring when we have growth. So everything we're doing right now, you're preparing for growth. And if you want to stay in a one-to-one -one practice, if you want to keep treating people the way you're treating them right now, now's the time to put those plans into action to get the right team, to get the right model of practice, to get the right overhead. And that's what we do. Because make no mistake, winter isn't coming, it's already here. And the ones who are thriving right now have that right model. They've got a low overhead, a one-to-one -one model of care, and the right pride of individuals working as an engaged and purpose-driven team. But life on the island of high performance in your region can be really lonely. In fact, it's scary to be the only one who thinks differently. And that's where our next key comes in. The next key that all the doctors who are having a successful summer have is the power of mastermind. And that's, these are people in a performance coach program. So every time you wanna do something, forces rise up against you. They're there to test you, to see if you really indeed want what you say you want. These are what the Greeks call the gods playing with our lives for amusement. Today, we might say, what else could go wrong? Or could, get the, could this get any worse? I remember a retreat that we had at the Schuster Center many years ago with James Hollis, who is a well-renowned Jungian analyst. And he said, don't ever pray for a religious experience. Just think about Job. So do you have the strength to make it to the other side of what it is you want. Performance Coach helps you, helps you do that. And it's a group of people that are all going somewhere. They all have goals. They want higher quality in their practice and in their lives. We talk some, most of the time daily, uh, but you form small groups where we share information with each other. Uh, we share our goals, we share our struggles and our successes. We get together a few times a year to reconnect and recharge and renew our purpose. But it's a group of amazing people do amazing things in dentistry in their lives. We are accepting a few people into this program, uh, which our next session will begin in January. Next year, we'll be working uh, with, I'm actively involved in performance coach, as are some of the mentors like Robin Steely, John Heron, TJ Bolt, Dr. Schuster, we also will be working with uh, Dan Millman, author of Path of the Peaceful Warrior. We work with some fun functional practitioners and representatives from the world of Jungian psychology. Performance Coach unlocks your passions in several key areas of life. It helps you identify and recognize what is sucking your energy and what is driving you. And it helps you live in a relationship to things that matter most and keep you feeling alive, doing your highest and best purpose. In contrast to putting out fires and problems all the time and feeling like you never have enough, you're living in chaos, and no one knows your struggle. Without commitment and dogged determination, ideas are just that. They're longings. They're shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So performance coaching helps you commit to what it is you want. We focus on time management and putting your priorities in order which is one of the things we use as a, a planner that is specific for our performance coach doctors. You can read all the books and get all the ideas you can handle, but without action, what is it worth? 
if Siddhartha would have awoken under the Bodhi tree and yawned and stretched and just lived the way he had all along, what was the point of it? If he hadn't taught another, what's the point? Where would the insights had taken him so long to learn, where would they go? The Schuster Center is based on timeless principles, proven strategies, and thousands of months of data proving that your personal development and your health is inextricably intertwined with that of your practice. So being able to clearly articulate what you stand for and why you do what you do takes courage because you are challenging the status quo, and that's not easy. Your performance coach group helps you challenge, challenges you and holds you accountable to live what you speak. Often we challenge the status quo, we feel very lonely, and that's why it's good to be around people who are on a similar path each living their individual best life and developing and enacting their own master plan for their practice in life. Too often, ideas and action plans aren't prioritized. We go solo, we give up early, and we ignore personal danger signs. But PC folks always have your back. They ask the right questions. You're always under the watch of a mentor who's been there, climbed the mountain, and turned around to help you up. And you're under the care of the Schuster Center and we're available whenever we need to talk or strategize through when conditions change. A mentor is not someone who walks ahead of us to show us how they did it. A mentor is someone who walks alongside you to show you what you can do. Now, it's not just the people who are good at following their dreams that need coaches and need help along the way, it's all of us. We're all going somewhere helping and encouraging and inspiring one another. The final key to the success that people are having this summer is a transition to fee-for-service. That doesn't mean that you simply have stopped taking insurance. You may have changed the uh, protocols in your practice to minimize the effect of insurance on your practice. So it doesn't have to mean dropping insurance. But most of the practices have. So choose the model that is in your best interest, the one that fits with your philosophy, or one's going to be chosen by for you, by Delta, by Aetna, by Cigna, and on and on. In my book, Through the Red Sea, I detail how I navigated the move to fee-for-service and fully embraced the consultative process taught by Dr. Schuster to realize the benefits of a health and relationship-based fee-for-service practice. Those practices, like I stated earlier, are 600 to 1,000% more profitable than insurance-focused or volume-sized style practices. When you make the changes that I'm talking about in just the consultative process, insurance becomes non-existent in conversations as people plan their care in a one-to-one -one practice. Patients in hygiene every day, every hour come in healthy. That means no plaque, no bleeding. So it's hard for a hygienist to run behind when they're cleaning a clean mouth but that gives them time to really get into a coaching relationship with the patient. Helping patients create health at the simplest level is a fuel that drives comprehensive dentistry. Keeping your mind in the right orientation. Here you see TJ Bolt, one of our mentors, using his performance coach planner to collect quotes, to write down the vision of what he wants in the future, creating visual imagery and structure to make it happen. Tracking daily, habits, what gives energy, what takes energy away, and also every quarter reassessing and recalibrating what his focus is based on how his lifestyle changes. 
you can find it on one of our past webinars, uh, the Freedom Webinar, in our online school. And this webinar laid out a process for transitioning to food for service. By getting a baseline of where you are, we can figure out what's right for you to make the switch. Maybe it's three months, maybe it's three years. But if you're considering it, book a strategy session with me or one of the analysts. And in the gap between the call, watch the Freedom Webinar to prepare yourself for what's next. Insurance dependent practices need to collect one and a half to two times more than a fee-for-service practice. A hygiene-assisted model of uh, practice or high staff compensation problem-focused care is what you find in these types of practices. Dental, the Delta Dental, when I was considering dropping Delta, recommended to me to use an expanded functions assistant model of care to be able to continue to see their patients while losing money. They also recommended for me to drastically raise my fees 20% so that people who were out of network could compensate for the ones that do. Higher fees, higher write-offs. A level, a level three and four practice focus more on patient experiences and the needs of the customers, which makes pricing a premium and patients neglect that as you focus on them. Once you switch and become a fee-for-service practice, you get to spend more time with people. There's less work and more income. You begin doing more of the work that you like to do and attract people with higher appreciation for their health and their dentistry. Pick a date in the future and work backwards, ensuring you have enough time to have the team in place, the structures and training in place, and get to a place of balance between level two and three type of work, which we call the hybrid practice. As the level three side of your practice begins to increase, you can make the change and feel the energy of doing more of the work that you wanna do, working with patients and people that are enjoyable to be around and seeing your net profits increase. You begin to be in a vortex of positivity and success. I'll close with a quote from Jonathan Livingston Siegel. We can be everywhere and every when we want to. Instantly, go first in your mind. So create your life, don't let it happen to you, and be the architect of your own destiny. Book a session with me or one of our analysts by calling our 800 number. You can even talk to one of our coaches or enrollment counselors. You've been given several opportunities in the webinar to engage with us. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for attention and good luck.